Hi, and welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. Ethnos is a new organization looking to join in the holistic, community-transforming work happening in Highland Park in New Brunswick. A part of that includes thinking about the spiritual health and vitality of our community. Each week, our gathering is meant to give our community a safe and helpful place for them. Today's episode is the second part of the conversation about what does it mean to be gay and part of the family in the series called Family Is It Possible? And today's conversation is led by speaker Peter Volk. All right. Well, today, as we transition into our next section of discussion and conversation around the teachings of Jesus, uh, we have uh, a real special uh, setup for today. Uh, some of you know that uh, last month we began a series, or we were in a series called Family, Is It Possible? Like, how do, how do we actually be a healthy, spiritual family together? The reason why we talked about this, of course, is uh, as we look to be a community of transformation for our city, as we look to be a place where people from all sorts of backgrounds can come and process their spiritual journey, doesn't matter what religion they come from, what religion they grew up with, um, one of the big questions, of course, was, well, um, what about those of us who identify as gay? And how do we feel about being a part of a family like this? What does it mean to be gay and a part of the spiritual journey with Jesus? And if you remember, about a, a month ago, we had the special privilege of having uh, a a very amazing man and a leader in this conversation uh, in the nation uh, named Peter Valk with us. He shared his story. He kind of shared about uh, how he thought about following Jesus and being gay and kind of the intersection of a number of things. Well, because we believe here at Ethmos that this is an important topic, it's something that, uh, like a lot of other things in our spiritual journey, it, it's a process. It's not something you kind of hear a talk and figure it out and then just move on. Uh, many things in our spiritual journeys are, are a process we need to chew on, we need to think about, we need to disagree, agree with, things like that. Uh, Peter is actually back with us. And uh, today, as kind of a second part of the process of trying to understand what it means to be gay and a follower of Jesus, uh, Peter is here to kind of do some Q&A with us this morning. And uh, just go through a couple of key questions that a month ago you guys were asking you kind of wrote them on cards, we compiled them, we thought through them, uh, and Peter's going to be here this morning to share with us about uh, five or six of those questions you took in, okay? Now, here's the deal. If you're new here or you weren't, if you missed Peter's talk, this might be like, whoa, we're jumping into something right away, and it's like, whoa, this is crazy. Uh, yeah, it, it will be. We apologize. Um, <laughs> but you can find Peter's talk, first talk online. You'll, you'll hear his story. It was... I think those of all, all of us who are here for that, I think we're very touched and impacted by a story. Uh, you may bring that story back up in a couple of ways. Uh, but um, again, this is a process. So if you feel like, whoa, this is a little strange, I don't think I agree with any of this, that's okay. That's okay. We are here to create this space for our city to just ask these questions, the process, and walk forward in areas of spirituality that are important. And so... Feel free to disagree with everything 
uh, we say, and that's cool. We'll keep talking, we'll keep being friends, and we'll keep on this journey. Uh, without further ado, let me just invite up Peter. Let's give him a hand for being back with us. Peter. Uh-oh. And uh, I'm going to join Peter up here this morning, too. Yeah. Yeah, almost lost your glasses. Wow, that's cool. All right. Well, um, first of all, Peter, thanks for being back. Yeah, glad to be here. It's good to have you back. And um, we have the questions on the screen, and so uh, we'll just get started. I think what we'll do is we're going to just jump into the first few questions. We'll take a pause. You guys can process this, and then we'll continue forward, okay? So, Peter, um, the first question that came up that people were asking is this right here. How does... How does same-sex attraction develop? And, you know, can people change? Why does God allow this to happen? Especially if people feel like, man, there's something quote-unquote wrong with me or something. Like, how does it all happen? Yeah. Uh, ooh. Uh, and I want to recognize before we jump into this question that particularly for uh, the, the gay people in this room, we may be tired of talking about this question and hearing this question asked. So completely recognize that. I want to recognize that from the beginning. But I think this is a big question for a lot of people that are trying to make sense of, uh, of this. Uh, um, so yeah, I'll jump right into it. Uh, the consensus of, of scientists is that there's a mixture of both nature and nurture that leads to people's sexual orientation. Just like a lot of, of how we're put together. There's a mix of genetic influence and how we develop in the womb. Um, and our, our, how we grow up and, and, and our family life and our home life and the people we're around and, and even our church experiences, all those things contribute to, to who we are. Um, but one thing that is really clear is that people don't choose who they're attracted to. Um, people don't choose who they find attractive, who they're drawn to. Um, I didn't wake up one day and decide that I was going to be gay, decide that I was going to be attracted to other men, any more than those of you uh, who are straight woke up one day and decided that you were going to be straight. Um, so I didn't choose who I was attracted to. And there's no proven combination of counseling and prayer and weekend retreats to change someone's sexual orientation, to, to make someone who is straight gay, to, to change someone from experiencing same-sex attraction to just experiencing opposite-sex attraction. Um, can miracles happen? Uh, do some people share a testimony of their sexual orientation changing? Yeah, there's some of those stories, uh, and, I, and I respect their stories, but that's not been my story. And that's not been the story of most of the people that I know uh, who are gay. Uh, the best research out there shows that only three to four percent of people who seek to kind of change their sexual orientation experience any kind of change. And just to put that into context, three uh, percent or four percent, that's the same likelihood that the average person would go to an Ivy League school. Uh, that's the same likelihood that you would be a millionaire. Um, it's the same likelihood that if you play baseball in high school, you will go pro. So just to give you a context for how likely that is uh, for someone's sexual orientation to change if they seek that out. Those are some numbers to give you some context. Um, and I think this is why Christians telling gay people that in order to be loved, they need to become straight. In order for God to love them, in order for other people to love them, they need to become straight. I think that's why that is so destructive. Because this is, 
a near impossible task to try to become straight, right? And if, and that's why it's so painful um, when people feel like, when gay people feel like the only way that they can, they can get, um, they can be okay with themselves and other people, people will be okay with them is if they seek to change their sexual orientation because it just doesn't happen most of the time. Um, so as a result, it might not even be helpful for a Christian to pray and ask God to change their sexual orientation. I'll say for me, it's been much more helpful for me to ask God the question of, God, what do you want to do with the fact that I am gay? How do you want to use this for my good and for your glory and to bring goodness to the people's lives um, around me? Um, but even if people were born gay, let's say we found, discovered some kind of research next week that proved that it was just, just nature, just genes that led to people being gay. Um, I think that still doesn't tell us um, if, whether God intended for us to be gay. Um, because none of us are today how God first imagined us to be. All of us are uh, broken at a genetic level. All of us develop in the womb in broken ways. All of us are born into a broken world that injures us. And then as we gain agency and willfulness and we start to make decisions for ourselves, we make some good decisions and we make some bad decisions and that has an impact on our life. So uh, none of us are, are how God you know, originally imagined us to be. So the question of, of, of whether or not God meant for us to be gay isn't a scientific question. It's, it's a theological question. Um, and at least as I understand it, for example, as I think Roman one, Romans 1 points me to, is that God didn't intend for, for me to be gay. When God first imagined me and imagined me being born into uh, a perfect world, he didn't imagine me being attracted to uh, other men. That wasn't what he intended. Um, but I am gay, right? That's, that's how I am. So God obviously allowed this to happen. Um, and so why did God let me be gay? Particularly as something I shared in my story last time was... Um, you know, I, I, I don't think, um, I think God's best for me is, is a celibacy or Christian marriage with someone of the opposite sex. Uh, and, and so I don't think this is part of kind of what God intended for me. Why would God do that? Why would God let something broken be uh, and, and not make that right? Um, or, not, or, not, or, or not make the world a different place where he blesses the kinds of uh, relationships that I'd prefer to seek out. Uh, I don't have a great answer to that question, but, but what I will say is that I think in order for us to have like free will, in order for us to have uh, agency, in order for our choices to mean something, I think God has to let the ch our choices kind of play out, let the consequences of those choices um, play out. Um, so if God swooped in and he protected us from the uh, consequences of others' decisions or the consequences of our decisions, then what would, we, would we really have choice? Would, would our choices really mean anything? Um, so as I understand it, I think I experience same-sex attraction. I think I'm gay because of the broken choices of, of, of generations before me. That's how I understand it. I don't think I did anything um, to bring about the fact that I'm gay. But, you know, even, um, but I think that there were um, other people's choices, other people's um, decisions uh, 
that led to maybe me experiencing same-sex attraction. And God didn't swoop in and, 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 and uh, keep that from, from happening um, because he wants our decisions to have, have meaning. Our, great, our good decisions and, and maybe our less good decisions. And in order to do that, he, he doesn't swoop in and protect us at every moment. Um, so that's how I understand kind of the answers to some of these questions. Again, I preface this with gay people are tired of hearing this question asked and answered. Um, and uh, I know some of what I said, uh, particularly for gay people in the room uh, who may believe differently than me, may be painful to hear. You know, you, you don't want to see yourself uh, the way I'm describing in some of these ways. Uh, and I totally respect that. I want to recognize that. Uh, but I think for some of the others in this room, this is a question they're curious about uh, and a question that I think it's helpful for us to have an accurate understanding, particularly pushing back against the ideas that you know, people choose who they're attracted to, and if we simply just pray hard enough, God will make us straight. So I wanted to bring some clarity on that one. Thanks, Peter. No, that's a, that's a great answer. And again, um, if you have other questions about Peter's answer, um, definitely you know, jot them down and just kind of process it. Again, we'll have some time to, for you to talk about it more at your tables. And then um, today... Uh, Peter, Peter's going to stick around for lunch as well. If you want to grab lunch with him and just process some more questions, uh, we'll definitely do that. Uh, the, the next set of questions that came up, Peter, uh, kind of are a natural offshoot of the first question. Uh, you mentioned last month that you know you're called to this thing called celibacy. Now, some of us aren't too sure what that is, so you might want to redefine that for us again. But um, how did you actually come to that conclusion and... Um, what causes you to fear this idea of celibacy, and what gives you hope about celibacy? Tell us more about that. Yeah, so first maybe I'll define this word. That might be helpful before I jump into this. So, um, and, a, and a couple different places in, in Jesus' uh, kind of scriptures, it talks about this idea of, of being single for the Lord. It talks about this idea of uh, giving up, um, as I understand it, romance and, and sex and marriage, um, for the sake of committing yourself wholly to doing uh, some of the Lord's work that maybe would be harder to do if you were busy, particularly doing the work of raising children, because that's a time-consuming and important work. Um, and so this, these people who commit to singleness for the Lord, maybe they have more time available to uh, do some of the work of uh, caring for uh, the, the sick uh, and, and, and the needy uh, and, and, and those in, in poverty in different ways um, in our community because they have more time and energy available to do that kind of work. Um, so so that when I say celibacy, I kind of mean uh, refraining from or giving up the prospect of romance, sex, and marriage. But not just, it's not just a, a, a vocation of no. It's, it's exchanging that for committing yourself to... Um, to using your availability from that to do more of the work that the Lord wants to do, I think, in this city and, and, and in this country and in this world. Um, so that's what that celibacy is that I'm talking about. So yeah, it's an interesting journey how at least I came to understand that that's what God was calling me to. Um, while I'm not bisexual, I'm not generally attracted to women uh, in like romantic or, or, or physical ways. Um, when I was in a college, um, I had dated a couple women, and, and they knew my story, and they, they knew that I was gay, so I wasn't withholding that information from them. But I, I dated a couple of women, um, and I grew a specific desire for them in that dating relationship. I'm not trying to say that that works for everyone or push that on anyone, but I'm just saying, sharing that that was part of my experience. So coming out of that, I, I knew that if God wanted me to marry a woman, that might could work. 
Maybe that is, maybe that is an option for me. Um, but, but then I paused and started asking the question, well, does God have a preference whether I get married, I step into Christian marriage with a woman, or whether I um, remain single and even commit to this singleness for the Lord? And I can't explain it in any other way other than the Holy Spirit uh, kind of pushed me to not just go take what I wanted, but instead ask uh, God if he had a preference for, for my life. Um, so I started asking that question of God. And I asked that question for about three years until I felt like I had a solid answer. Um, I studied uh, books on this topic, trying to better understand how a, 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 a Jesus follower discerns any spiritual questions. Um, I studied books uh, to make sure I had a healthy understanding of this singleness for the Lord, this celibacy, and a healthy understanding of what Christian marriage was. Because I didn't want to be biased for or against either of them. Or I wanted to be for them. I wanted to be, but I didn't want to have a bias against either of them. Um, and then I asked friends and pastors and mentors and my parents and my therapist and my small group if they had advice for me. Uh, yeah, I was going everywhere. <laughs> I wanted as much information as possible. But yeah, I was asking all these people in my life, did, did they have a hunch based on observing and doing life with me what God might be calling me to? Um, and um, there were two, or two stories I want to share around that that I think were particularly meaningful for me. So uh, one, and they were, they were really close to each other time-wise, and they were really close to the end of this kind of discernment process for me. So one was uh, I went to a dinner um, with, this, with this girl who had connected with me because of the work I do having these kinds of conversations. Uh, and she was also gay and a Christian, so we were talking about that kind of stuff. Um, and something about her personality um, I was really drawn to her in this conversation. We were having a work conversation, but all of a sudden it was like, this is very seldom uh, that I like, am, am sitting with a girl and I'm like, oh, you're cool, you know, like, <laughs> uh-oh, am I really gay? No, no that's, that's, not, that's not really what goes on. But no, it's surprising, at least because it's so infrequent. So this is one of those infrequent times where this girl's really cool. Like, if God was calling me to marriage, maybe this is someone who I might actually try to have more conversations with. Um, and then it was kind of confusing, particularly when I sat in, um, in the car after we had dinner. It was kind of confusing because it's like, well, wait, God, like, I was playing out the tape. Um, I do a lot of, like, future tripping, which could be good or bad. My therapist suggests it's not the best for me. But so I was future tripping. I was, I was saying, what would this look like if I had more conversations with her and if we went on dates and blah, 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 blah. And, and I was, and I, if we got married, right, like, this is way too far in the future, <laughs> way too much. Um, it's a little embarrassing, but, um, but I was confused because I said, wait, God, I thought you've been encouraging me, pushing me towards this singleness for the Lord, but then I meet this girl and she's really cool. What do I do with this? And, um, I'm not saying that God like spoke to me in an audible way. For me, sometimes in these conversations, I just kind of sit and, and think and, and whatever, sometimes ideas come to my mind. And when I, I just have this feeling that, they, that, that, that something about them is more weighty than my normal thoughts. I can't really explain that well, um, but, but that's kind of, in this moment, I was asking these questions, and I felt like, and I, I felt like I was kind of having maybe a, a sort of conversation with God. So I asked him, God, what do I do with this? Um, and, and I said, um, if, if I pursued this with this girl, and, and we by any chance happened to get married, would that be good? Would you bless that? And I felt like I, I, I heard a, I felt like I had a, a yes. Yes, that would be good. 
But, but, but what, about, what about the singleness for the Lord? I thought that was what, what you said would be good for me. And God said, yeah, that would also be good. Uh, so there was, this was kind of frustrating. And, and I said, well, is it either of them better for me? More good for me? Uh, not more good for all people, but just specifically for me. And what I, what I felt some confidence in that moment was both would be good. God would bless both. Both would lead to some beautiful things in my life. But that singleness for the Lord for me would be better. But God said, you can choose. I'm not forcing you into one or the other. There you go. It's back on. Uh, yeah, you can choose. Um, and I think that was important in this process because if I had felt like God was pushing me or forcing me into celibacy, that would have been harder for me to embrace it. Um, so that was an important conversation. And then just a couple weeks later, my, the small group I was in at church, we had been going through this, this uh, kind of series where uh, a different person each week would bring a question they've been asking God to the group. And they would share about that question and share more information about that question. And people would ask them questions. And, and then we would just kind of sit and pray and, and see if the Holy Spirit gave, gave any of the people in that group a word or any kind of encouragement for, for the person being talked about. And so I brought this question of whether or not God might be calling me to celibacy or marriage to this group. And just overwhelmingly, they felt this confidence that, like, that seems like the beautiful thing for you. That seems like what God has for you. And I think it was after particularly these two experiences that it just kind of clicked for me. It went from, like, 95% sure to 99% sure um, that this is what, what God has for me. Um, but that was only the first step. For me, the bigger question was, okay, if I'm called to this singleness for the Lord, how, I'm gonna do that? how am I going to do that well? Particularly, how am I going to keep from being lonely? Because I think that was one of my fears, that being called to this kind of celibacy, this singleness for the Lord, meant I was going to be lonely. Uh, I knew that I needed committed companionship to do that well. Um, so I started exploring that with my pastor, and a couple of years later, the fruit of that conversation was uh, eight other guys and I um, started meeting weekly for dinner and prayer and discerning whether God was calling us to start an intentional Christian community, basically a family, for men who felt called to celibacy, men who felt called to this singleness for the Lord. Um, and then fast forward to today, uh, two of us have made our first kind of formal public steps toward what we have named the, the Nashville family of brothers. And then there's a bunch of other guys who continue to meet with us weekly and continue to ask God about this prospect. Um, so, yeah, I think wrapped up in all that are my fears and my hopes. Uh, you know, the fear that I didn't know how to do celibacy well. Uh, I was afraid that I would be lonely if that was God, what God called me to. I had no idea how I would find family. Um, and I think some of the reasons for that fear was because all I heard growing up talked about it, was marriage as a prospect for me. Um, and I think Jesus followers maybe have had too much of a good thing when it comes to marriage. Um, like, I think we've turned maybe marriage into, into an idol. We've turned it into something that is going to be the solution to all of our problems, and it is the greatest good. Essentially, we've replaced Jesus with marriage. Uh, yeah, so I agree. <laughs> so um, I think one of the reasons why I just couldn't imagine singleness for the Lord being good is because Maybe we've talked a little bit too much or said that the only good thing is marriage. 
and we need to rein that in a little bit. Um, I think, you know, the churches, uh, the, 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 the communities like this need to teach what Jesus' scriptures have to say about singleness for the Lord. We need to teach uh, teens and young adults to discern whether God is calling them to marriage, whether God is calling them to singleness for the Lord. And then we've got to help uh, these communities like this. have got to help those, those single people find a way to make family. Uh, and whether that looks like them staying deeply connected to their biological family, whether that looks like them uh, moving in with another, uh, with a married couple and maybe their kids who is in their community and doing life with them as a family, or whether that's starting some kind of intentional Christian community of just celibate people or celibate and married people, whatever that looks like, we all need, uh, particularly, uh, if, well, we all need, including married people, but certainly those who are called to singleness for the Lord, we need some kind of committed family. So, yeah, I think that's, that's what that's looked like for me, and that's the fears, but also the hopes I have, because um, I think I found hope in the support from my church and my friends, and hope ultimately in this intentional Christian community, this Nashville family of brothers that I hope um, continues to move forward. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. No, that's good. Let me ask you just one more question, and then we'll take a little pause for you guys to process some of what's been said. Um, so let's say, uh, let's say I'm gay, and I feel like, okay, I, I want to do the celibacy thing that you're describing. Well, what, what do you do with your attractions and your need for relationship? Uh, what, how do you respond to somebody when you find them attractive, especially someone of the same sex? Like, how, how do you handle that? Being careful where the button is. I was playing with that earlier. Uh, those of you who have maybe been around me in person a little closer, I have this ring on my finger, and the pieces of it come apart, and I fiddle with it a lot. I'm a fiddler. Uh, so, yeah, this, this button's tempting. Um, <laughs> Okay, so yeah, no, this is a great question. Sorry, I got distracted. Uh, I think we are all made for relationship. We all need connection. Um, and I think God seems to make that pretty clear in Genesis 2. Before there's any, in the, in the story, before there's any brokenness in this world, as everything was just out as it should be, or seemingly, um, God makes man, and then God sees that man is alone. God has perfect communion with God, or excuse me, man, that, that first man has perfect communion with God. That first man has all these animals around him and in this beautiful, perfect world, and he's still lonely. And I think that's God recognizing that he has made us for more than just relationship with God, even in a perfect world. That does not mean God is not enough in any way. That's not what I'm saying. But God chose to make us in a way that we need more than just relationship with God that we need a relationship with other humans. And that's even in, in, in a state of perfection. Um, now this world is broken, right? And, there, and that, that brokenness uh, creates distance between us and God, but also us and each other. So I think even more so, uh, we're going to need human connection. So we need human connection. And God has made us uh, mind, body, and soul. So I think we need connection on an emotional level and uh, on a physical level and on a spiritual level. We need connection in those ways. Um, all of us, regardless of whether we're called to celibacy or we're called to, to marriage. Um, I also know that if I ignore my needs for healthy connection, for healthy intimacy, that the broken parts of me tend to reach out for destructive, 
and unsatisfying alternatives or shortcuts or replacements to, to seek connection outside of the best ways that God has invited me to connect with other people and connect with him. Uh, so I think the best way to keep us from connecting in the less healthy ways with other people is to seek out the healthy things we need with other people, is to actively and intentionally seek out connection with God and connection with other humans. Um, and I think that's just as true for those who are called to celibacy. Uh, while I might not connect with people in romantic or sexual ways, my, while giving that up is, is part of what I think God has called me to, um, I'm also convinced that none of us need sex or romance to be whole. Now, those of us who are married will have that, and that's good. So I'm not saying that's bad. And no, no way am I trying to go back to how Christians have taught about in the past that say that sex and romance is bad. That's not what I'm saying. It, it can be beautiful in the context that God has given us to enjoy those things. But it's not necessary to be a whole human, right? We have Jesus and Paul and other examples of our faith um, who had full lives, and sex and romance was not a part of their lives. Um, so we can be a whole without that. No, I think we can still meet our needs for uh, physical intimacy and emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy in meaningful ways without sex or romance. So now let me speak specifically to these moments when we find ourselves attracted to someone that maybe we don't want to be attracted to them. Or, or, or the attractions seem to be complicating the, the relationship. Maybe a friend that we want to continue having a friendship with. Um, I've found that when I realize that I'm attracted, physically attracted to uh, one of my guy friends, um, if I start avoiding him, it only grows my desire for him. Uh, I, I want him more. He becomes more mysterious. I become more lonely. It only creates a, a, a greater gap. But if instead I lean into healthy friendship with this person, I find that my desires for something romantic or sexual go down. Not in any kind of final way, but, but just when I get the thing I really need, when I get deep friendship with people, I'm not interested in kind of the, the, cheap, the cheap alternatives. Um, so I think some of what I heard growing up and even early in making sense of my story of being a Christian and being gay, I heard pastors who, who were afraid of me being close friends with guys I might find attractive were afraid of me being close friends with other guys who were gay who I might find attractive and told me to stay away from them. And, and that actually just made me feel more alone and made me want relationship with them more. But, but when I've leaned into healthy relationship with people that I might be drawn to, I see that that's, that's led to good things in my life. Uh, and so, yeah, for those of you who are gay, I definitely don't want to encourage you to, to, to be afraid of people you're drawn to. Um, or feel like the only way to please God is to go hide in your room or only have friends that you don't find attractive. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to that's gonna end well. So, yeah. That's a good word. That's a really good word. Thanks, Peter. Um, let's hit pause real quick. There's been a lot said, a lot to process. Why don't you turn to your neighbors, and for the next two minutes, just kind of process, you know, what, what struck you as something really intriguing, something you, you, you want to keep thinking about? What are some things you perhaps disagreed on? And, you know, just process. Okay, two minutes, and uh, we'll, we'll bring it back. Yeah, so there's a lot to think about. This, this is a fascinating conversation. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take two more questions. We had three, but we're going to just go with two just because of time. And I think these last two questions 
are actually uh, are actually pretty good just because they're they're um, you know they're they're pretty pretty interesting. Um, so, uh, Peter, one of the things you mentioned last month when you were here is this whole idea that God might def- definitely not for everyone, right? But God might actually call gay people into the complexity of marriage with someone with the opposite sex. So calling a gay person to live in a straight married relationship, I guess is one way to put it too. Um, Please explain this. This is, yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah, so I want to be really careful with this this conversation. Um, So in the kind of maybe 70s, 80s, and 90s, if a a gay person went and talked to his or her pastor and said, hey, I think I'm having these feelings, the pastor would say, "Um, you're not really gay, just go marry someone of the opposite sex, and then your attractions will go away. You'll become straight. Don't talk to anyone else about this. Don't talk to your spouse about this. That's the solution. Uh, And that led to really bad consequences. Many of you may have people in your family, may have uh, uncles, aunts, uh, people connected to you who they've been impacted by this, either because they were one of these spouses or they were a a child of one of these marriages, and that created a lot of pain. So uh, I'm not suggesting we do more of that. And, um, And I see that in reaction to the bad fruit we've seen of that, some churches who still hold on to, uh, are trying to teach what the Bible has to say about sexuality, have gone the opposite direction and then said, well, then the only option for gay people is singleness for the Lord. That's the only option for them. Um, and I want to I uh, caution us not to swing the pendulum, not to be in, in either extreme of those positions, not to push this on everyone but not to say it can't work for anyone um, either, right? We know that uh, marriage is not for everyone. Um, God doesn't have the one for every one of us. I mean, even those, I think, those of us who are going to get married, I, I, I don't think, I don't know if how it worked was when God was putting you together in the womb, they were, um, God was putting this other person together in the womb just for you. I, I don't know if that's how it works, right? Even for those of you who are, who are going to get married, um, uh, so, so we, we know marriage is not for everyone. Uh, we know that the Bible has good things to say about the singleness for the sake of the Lord. But I also don't think we should discredit this, some people call this a mixed orientation marriage, right? Because they're not opposite sex marriage, but one person has a, is gay and one person is straight. Uh, a mixed orientation marriage is how some people refer to these kinds of marriages. Um, I don't think we just should just outright discredit them and say that they're not uh, not a possibility. So I want to describe, uh, I have friends who are in the, these kinds of marriages, and some of them have gone well, and some of them have gone poorly. And I at least want to share with you what I see are some, some similarities between those marriages that have gone well, who are in this kind of an opposite sex marriage where one of the people is gay. Uh, so marriages that go well, that are doing this. Um, early in their dating relationship, the person who is gay shares about this part of his or her life with the other person and gives that other person the chance of whether or not they want to continue to be a part of that relationship knowing that information. Um, And they say clearly, uh, I'm probably going to be gay for the rest of my life. Like, no promises is going to go away, 
So if this, if we want to be together, this is something we're going to have to make sense of together. Um, and then as they get engaged, or and as they get married, they continue to talk openly about this aspect of of their relationship, this this thing that they're making sense of together. And then when they get married. Um, they share about this aspect, or even when they're dating, but, but certainly needs to be this case when they get married, they share about this aspect of their marriage with other couples, right? And this is really important, because if you're in this kind of a mixed orientation marriage, it might be easy to assume that every one of the challenges you face in your marriage is due to the fact that one of you is gay. But when these couples talk to other couples they're, they're doing life with and they share, oh, this is, this is what we're struggling with this, this month in our marriage, what they hear from these other couples is, that has nothing to do with the fact that one of the people in your marriage is gay. That's, a, that's something that every couple struggles with. And so they feel like their challenges are normalized, and this isn't something unique just because marriage is hard, right? Uh, I, don't wanna, I certainly don't want to suggest that mixed orientation marriages will be easy, but I don't think any marriage will be easy. Um, it's going to be difficult, but it seems like a lot of the challenges that mixed orientation marriages face are, are pretty universal when they compare it to the challenges that some of their, the other couples they do life with um, are sharing about. So, so I, I share all that to say, um, I think we need to recognize that this is a possibility, um, but I think we need to be really careful about not pushing people into this. Um, so I'll tell you, say two last things about this question. Um, one about consistency and one about recognizing the realities of some of the stories gay people have heard around these uh, kinds of relationships. I, I want to first say a thing about consistency. As a gay person, if I'm going to challenge straight people to consider singleness for the Lord and not just default to marriage, I think then it's only fair, it's only consistent for me to challenge some of my gay friends who are Christian and are trying to steward that according to a biblical sexual ethic and maybe prefer celibacy, who feel like that would be the, the, the better option, I think I would be remiss if I didn't also challenge them to at least consider this mixed orientation marriage. At least offer this question to God, God, is this a possibility for me? Okay, But a caveat, um, a lot of my friends who are gay, including me, grew up um, and particularly once we started sharing with pastors and parents that we were gay, this was the only option that was offered to us. This was pushed on us over and over again. We were shamed if we weren't going on dates with someone of the opposite sex. We were asked questions about people of the opposite sex that we're in pictures with on Facebook, and, ooh, who is she, and do you like her, and why don't you like her? Like, these are common conversations with my mother. Um, so I, I think for a lot of my gay friends, this, this well has been thoroughly poisoned, this option of a mixed orientation marriage has been, has been really poisoned for them, and it's not something that they can really consider uh, in a good light right now, right? So I want to recognize that as well, and so I certainly don't want you going from here and talking to your gay friends who are Christians and, and pushing mixed orientation marriages on them because they may have already had a lot of that in ways that have been painful for them. So, yeah. Thanks, Peter. One last question, and I'm, I'm going to have to say this, this, this has got to be quick but uh, maybe just give us a little teaser and then we can have people come up and, and ask you this afterwards. Um, you know, how early should we start talking to our kids? So this is for the parents in the room, but also for those of us who, who aren't, uh, aren't parents. Uh, you know, here at Ethos, we really believe this is a communal effort, right? We're a community, we're a family. So uh, someday maybe you'll have kids, some days maybe you won't, but some of these kids in this place, these are your kids too, okay? So for all this... 
uh, non-parents in the room, just be aware this is really for all of us. So how early should we talk to children about being gay? Uh, what do you wish you had heard from parents or others uh, growing up? Yeah, so uh, I think ideally we're having these conversations before a child ever realizes that he or she is gay. Um, I think I needed to hear from my parents and pastors um, before I realized that I experienced same-sex attraction. I, need them to, I needed them to make clear uh, that people don't choose who they're attracted to. I needed for them to make clear that I'm not alone and I don't have to make sense of this alone. I needed for them to make clear that I have nothing to be ashamed about. That being gay is not my fault. There's nothing I did wrong. Um, I needed them to be clear that God loves me uh, just as much knowing that I'm gay and that God has just as good plans for me knowing that I'm gay. Um, and I need to, needed to hear that uh, I wouldn't have to become straight in order for God to love me more. Um, I think it would have been really helpful for me to hear those things um, before I even realized that I was gay, before I even realized that I experienced same-sex attraction. Um, and, and, and the immediate uh, caution or fear sometimes I get from parents is, oh, you know, if we're talking to 10-year-olds about this, might we suggest the idea of being gay? Might we confuse them? Might they can trick themselves into being gay somehow if we talk about this too early. And, and I just want to dispel that fear that, you know, you can't catch being gay. Um, that whatever mix of nature and nurture that's going to lead to someone being gay, that's already baked in by the time they're five or eight. You know, we don't have to worry about having these conversations too early. Um, I think the, the bigger worry is what happens if we don't talk about this well? And what happens if a gay person realizes they're gay and doesn't know if their family or their community is safe? Um, and I think we've seen some of the really bad fruit of that in the stats of the, the high rate of, of gay teen suicide um, compared to their straight peers. So I think in, in light of that, we've got to talk about this carefully um, with, with teens and ideally before they would ever realize that they're gay or not. So, Thanks so much, Peter. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, on that note, just to let everyone know, um, the reason we've had Peter here, and maybe you already know this, but Peter hasn't just been coming these last two Sundays just to talk with us here. Uh, actually, the Saturdays before he speaks here, he's been spending about seven hours with a select group of about 11 to 12 leaders here at Ethmos, training us and teaching us and helping us figure out how we can be the best community we can be where gay people who want to follow Jesus can thrive in a traditional sexual ethic. And so over the course of not just the next couple of months, but the next couple of years, we are hoping as a community to make some key changes and key adjustments so that we can be this kind of place where people like someone Peter just describes, people like any of our kids here growing up, they'll know that, oh, you know, being gay, okay, yeah, I don't have to feel ashamed, guilty. I have some people to help me through this. If you're an adult here and you've never come out before, this, we want this to be a place where we can thrive together uh, in the name of Jesus. And so, um, Peter, we're, we're thankful you've been here for the last two weeks, but here's the cool thing as we embark on this. Uh, I know, Peter, I think we'll probably have you back some more too, so that's going to be really cool. Um, let's give it up for Peter again just for guiding us today. Thank you so much. Can you join me in a word of prayer here this morning? God, we are so thankful for this time to 
hit pause to take this moment to reflect and engage in our spiritual journeys. We're thankful today for this very particular topic that Peter has brought us into, but it's so important for us to understand for ourselves, but also for our community, our city. God, continue to draw us close to you, into your hearts, into understanding how we can be a thriving place where gay, straight people find family, find community, and find a place to thrive in their journey with you, God. Thank you so much for this time. Continue to guide us throughout this week. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for today's conversation. For more information about Ethnos New Brunswick, please visit us at ethnosnb.com.